recent weeks in the beginning pages of Genesis, the beginning of human history, the story where all of the future of the world was blown to bits as compared to God's intentions for it, is that you could say that our first parents in a very posh community believed a marketer's insinuation. The insinuation they believed was this. There's something that you don't have that you badly need. There's something that you're presently being deprived of that you've got to get. Your life could be shinier. Your life could feel better. And underneath all that insinuation is this gigantic insinuation that all their ancestors, including us here today, have been tempted to believe every day of our lives. God's holding back on you. The insinuation of that now serpent who has dust on his belly was that God knew what was good for us to have and he decided to withhold it from us. He can't be trusted. He's just nervous. He's trying to control you with some deprivation here. Never mind the fact that you're surrounded by this stunning beauty. Never mind the fact that he's entrusted to your care everything he could think of to make. Except for one thing. And from that day forward, we have been a people who have had a difficult relationship with money and possessions. Because whereas Adam and Eve were put on the planet as the apex of God's creation, as representatives of His benevolent rule, and were given everything, entrusted with anything they could imagine, and said, enjoy this. Steward this. Cause flourishing with this. Think up stuff with this. Show what it's like when God gets hold of this creation and causes life to come out of it. Be stewards of all this. And as they started to suspect that their master who had entrusted them with everything was actually holding back on them, these stewards became embezzlers. And we're in their family tree. Embezzlers who were taking and keeping and abusing that which they were not the lawful owners of. They were only the trustees over it. And so, today as we think about this continuing theme of ours, as we look at creation, this intention of God as He dreamed up and spoke into existence all the wonders of the world, and then put people with images they did not construct but were conferred on them, images of God, us, little vice regents, co-rulers with Him. He put us in charge and said, be stewards of all this. And then dealing with the effects of saying, he's holding back, which blew to bits all his good intentions, marred and vandalized all 
the ways things should have been, the ways that goods and services and money and government and business should be carried out. And then looking at how Jesus and his redemption begins to reclaim these things, to intercept them, as Dave said, so that they can be used in their rightful pattern. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because you see, one of the preoccupations of the Bible is that image bearers, another word for us, is stewards. Because the Bible is pretty emphatic that there is a rule. If you make something, you own it. So like, if you make the universe, it's yours. If it's your breath that creates life, you can consider yourself the owner of it all. And so over and over and over again, the scriptures say God owns everything. And you've heard this said. And the corollary of that, of course, is that everything that God cares about, everything that he cares about, he puts somebody in charge of. In the church, Jesus loves his church and gave up his life for it. And so you know what he did? He, he gave the church trustees called shepherds, under-shepherds, elders. He cares about the poor. He cares about justice being done. He cares about orphans and widows. And so you know what he does? He creates a class of officers called deacons. And he says, I care about this so much, I don't want it to be unattended to. So he entrusts to the church caregivers, mercy workers, He entrusts to children that he cares about growing up, learning about him. He gives them parents. And those who don't have parents, he tells the other people to adopt. In every realm of life, if God cares about something, he puts someone in charge of it. He tells Timothy here at the end of this passage that Josh just read, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. The apostle had this profound sense. He says it in other places too. I have been given a trust And I've got to discharge it faithfully. That was Adam and Eve's job. That's been every human's calling since history began. Is that we are people who have been entrusted with the care of God's things. And we're called to manage them for Him. So here's the point today. Stewards, which is a word we don't use very much, You could think trustee, you could think manager, you could think moms and dads. Stewards manage things. This is a very complicated sentence. Stewards manage things according to their master's wishes. Stewards manage things according to their master's wishes. And if you don't get anything else today, I would love for you to take into yourself this thought that the Bible repeats almost ad nauseum when Jesus talks about final judgment, when he talks about the use of possessions and abilities and time and what we, can know, what we know and what we can do. He uses the word steward. You're watching over something for someone who's given you something. It's not yours. And so if you get nothing else today, if you could start to think of your life as I'm someone who has been entrusted with things to care about for God. God's things that I'm caring about. I'm put here to manage things. And what kinds of things does a steward manage? And here's what the apostle would tell us. One of the things that a steward would manage, first and foremost, really, is a steward has to manage their desire. Huh? That sounds dumb. 
But a steward does have to manage their desire. The Apostle Paul says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment. That has to do with desiring things. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. This is what inspires John Piper to say there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. Uh, uh, hearses, yes. No U-Hauls behind hearses. You can't, like Job said, naked I came into the world, naked I depart. The Lord gave and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We take nothing out of the world. We brought nothing into it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich, there's that desire again, want. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and to a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, again, want, desire. Not money itself. Money is a tool. Bad master, good servant. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, again, wanting, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Does it sound strange to think about managing your desires? The first thing that a steward has to do is be able to manage their desires. The apostle says what you have to do If you just follow your desires, what's going to happen is you're going to be perennially plagued with some kind of dissatisfaction, and it's going to make you assume that if only you can get more things, or more money, or a better house, or a better wife, or a better husband, or a better car, or better clothes, or a better job, if only you could get something that you do not have, you would be fixed. You would be better. Things would go better for you. But if you are a steward, your first consideration isn't your desires, it's your master's. And so when you find yourself in a state of discontent, when you find yourself thinking, there's something that I need that I do not have, you don't just run after it. You don't just follow it. You realize, of course, that our whole culture is built on the violation of the Tenth Commandment. Does anybody know what the Tenth Commandment is? No? Good. (laughs) Yes, we have one person here that knows what the Tenth Commandment is. I'm just kidding. The Tenth Commandment has something to do with coveting, um, not coveting. But see, almost our whole lives is spent wanting things that other people have. Our whole culture is built on it. Our whole economy is built on it. All our financial services, banking, so much of it is built on you and I wanting things that we do not have. God expressly prohibited us from constantly wanting things that other people had. So it's worth saying, because we don't even realize we're doing it or that it's wrong, that it's important for us not to nurse our discontentment. That when we find ourselves thinking, I need something else. The fall has arrived. You know what that means? And God may say to you, it means this is my best time of year in Chattanooga. It's fantastic, the beauty. And you say, no, 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 no. It means I need new boots. I need scarves. I need a new dress. Something that matches the autumn. See, without even thinking about it, we can nurse our discontentment 
The internet has not only brought pornography easily into people's houses, it's brought the inflammation of your covetous desires into your houses because now you can shop anytime you want to, day or night. You can look at things to buy. You can even buy them without even feeling it. And have them express shipped to your house if you have Amazon Prime. In two days without a fee. But the apostle says that godliness with contentment is great gain. That the thing that a steward struggles with is not to get ahead. A steward is always struggling for how to be content. And they're two different things. Nelson Rockefeller, who's one of the richest men in the history of America, was once asked, how much does it take for you to live on? And he answered in about the same exact way that most everybody in this room would answer. Richest man in America at the time. He answered this way, how much does it take for me to live on? A little bit more than I make. That's how much it takes for me to live on. Just a little bit more than I make. And if you look at your own credit card statements or your own balance sheet, if you're not as technically savvy as me, then you'll know that means if you look at what you have versus what you owe, that will be a good barometer of your contentment level. Oh, when you look at your giving statement at the end of the year and it says $7 and your debt level says 7000 or 47000 that will be a good barometer to you that you've stopped thinking of yourself as a steward and are only thinking of yourself as a consumer. You've become an embezzler, a thief, not living out what you're called to live out, which is part of the anxiety you feel. I think there are a lot of people in here that would like to be generous. I really do. I don't think most of you are stingy. I think you're afraid. But you haven't managed your desires. You haven't begun to think about the management of your own desires. And so you think if you want something, you must figure out how to get it as quickly as possible. But you know what a steward does? A steward recognizes, you know what? The situation I'm in has been entrusted to me. And so if I need something, my first thing to do is not to go shopping. It's to interact with my master. Because he's the one who furnishes me with everything for my enjoyment. That's what Paul ridiculously says. He says that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So if I am in desperate need of a new dress... I have an inner dissatisfaction that cannot be fixed unless I go shopping. If I must, when I see a Toyota commercial, I have to go buy one because I'm convinced not only will I get the new car and feel like that guy, but somehow in the process of those 72 months that I've financed it, I'm going to get richer. (laughs) Those commercials always make me think if I buy this, somehow I'm actually going to get rich. It's such a good deal. When you find yourself thinking, I've got to have a better house, I've got to have a better spouse, I've got to have some better clothes, I've got to have something better, that should be a warning light. Something is wrong. I need to talk to my master. Because if I am just swirling in debt and I'm just running to live off of more than I make, 
then I'm saying to my master, you're not doing a good job. You don't know what I need. Even though you've said you won't leave me, even though you've said you richly provide me with everything for my enjoyment, you are not. And that should sound like those first parents believing that maybe he's holding back. So you don't realize what's happening when you become indebted. You know, Dave Ramsey's always quoting that proverb, the borrower is slave to the lender. But what you do when you don't manage your desires is you basically give the leadership and lordship of your life to a bank. You say, Citibank, I would like for you rather than Jesus to determine my future. Because I want to be in a relationship with you for a lot of years. So that whenever money comes my way, I can't think about giving it away. I can't think about using it for human flourishing. I've already used it for a big TV. So what I have to do is, I've got to pay you for a lot of years. You'll get to be my master now. But Citibank is not a good master. It might be a good bank, I don't know. I'm just using Citibank. Any, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. But see, they're not good masters. Jesus is a good master. Richly providing you everything for your enjoyment, giving you life and life to the full, wanting you to lay a firm foundation so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. And I can guarantee you this, any of you who right now who are swimming in debt and trying to figure out how to make payments, people are calling you, you're scared. You think, why did I buy that stuff? Did I really need all that? Oh, but if you're a steward, you manage your desires by saying, when I am finding myself dissatisfied, I go to the Lord who richly provides me with everything for my enjoyment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when referring to the passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus is saying you can't really have dual masters, you're either going to love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. And he talks about the Gentiles, which are people who don't trust God. And he says, they're anxious. They're the ones who run after what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. But you, you seek God. He knows you need all that stuff. And Bonhoeffer said this, Anxiety is characteristic for Gentiles, for they rely on their own strength and work instead of relying on God. They do not know that the Father knows that we have need of all these things, and so they try to do for themselves what they do not expect from God. That's a really good way of putting it. Part of managing your contentment, managing your desires, is saying this. What am I expecting God for? Can He satisfy my longings? Can He provide me with practical stuff? I've got a junker car and I need a new one? Should I consult with Him first before I get online? Before I do the auto payment calculator, mortgage, Should I go to him and see if he might help me get a car? Help me get a job? Or help me be content? The Gentiles try to do for themselves what they do not expect from God. And Paul's saying, if you're a steward, this is part of our best gig about life on this earth, is you're not a cosmic orphan. Your father is not broke. He does not drive a Chevette. He has no, he's not looking for gas money. 
He's not got a goatee and cargo pants. He's not broke. And he wants to care for you. He's not a deadbeat dad. But do you trust him? A steward manages things. And one of the things you manage is your desire. You struggle not to consume but to be content. And one of the ways you get content is you either be satisfied with what you got or you get the things that you want. In either case, there's business to be done with the God who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. Maybe he's handed you things that you're not enjoying and you need new eyes, you need new capacity. Well, you ask him, you do business with him. Maybe there are things that you actually need. You all need stuff. stuff. Well, then maybe he'll give it. Ask him. Interact with him. Trust him to do what the rest of the world doesn't trust him to do. A steward manages his desires. A steward also manages goods. The apostle says this in the rest of the passage that Josh read. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who again richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. A steward is someone who manages things. They manage their desires, but they also manage the goods that have been entrusted to them. Whether those goods are material, whether they are their capacities, their abilities, what they're able to do, their relationships. Now, the first problem that presents itself to me as I think about this is not... Just, Paul saying, command them. I get real nervous about commanding something, but that's my own pathology. But Paul tells Timothy, the head pastor of this church at Ephesus, to command the rich. So here I am. I command you if you are rich not to be arrogant or put your hope in wealth. I command you to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. That is God's command for you. But here's the problem. I have not yet, at this point, maybe you've heard me say it before, met anyone who thinks they are rich. You all know people that you think are rich, but they don't. So then, there's a problem of, well, is he talking to anybody? Maybe he's not talking to anybody. Maybe he's a delusional apostle. He thinks God's going to provide. He thinks there are rich people and... Every rich person goes, good and well, there aren't any. Well, if you think about riches as the ability, for instance, to have some choices in the world, that gets you some access points. So, for instance, this morning when you woke up, if you could eat something other than just rice and beans, and you went to your closet and you didn't just pull out your shirt, Like if you had several shirts or sweater vests or dresses or does anybody, nobody wears dresses here. If you had, if you didn't just put on your shoe or shoes, you had more than two shoes, multiple shoes, you left one room of your house to go to another room of your house, you didn't just live in one room, there's a good chance that you have some amount of riches, at least compared to some people, because some people would say that poverty is defined as a limitation of choices. Poor people don't really have much choice. If you live under a bridge, you may not get to pick what you eat every day or what you wear. 
or where you go. So, if that's the case, if you have any choices in your life, some of you have more than others. You get to pick where you go on vacation or where you go to school or after you leave here today, you can go out to eat. Then you should just assume that you have some amount of riches. You're not Bill Gates, maybe. If you are Bill Gates, come talk to me. I've got a budget here. But some of you have some amount of riches because you have some amount of choices. And if that's the case, then you know what you can do? You know how I said last week that very often in the scriptures it seems that gifting constitutes a calling. In other words, if God wants you to be a steward and he gives you the ability to do stuff, he would like for you to do that stuff for him, for others, for flourishing. And so if you are rich, which means if you have some choices in the world, if you have income, or if not even if you don't have much income, if you have assets, because that's part of your riches, your capital, you own things. If you have any of that stuff, then I'm to command you not to be arrogant, which means, that goes back to managing your desires, not to think that somehow or another that you are better than somebody who doesn't have that because you have it. But instead, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. You, if you are rich, which means I think about all the people in here, you should in some degree or another consider it part of your calling on the planet to be a giver. If God's entrusted anything to you that is more than what you can live on, and you've got to do some business with them and figure out that. Because most people in America, don't, they need a little more than they make. But if you are someone who has choices, you ought to consider that you have a calling to give. Command them to be rich in good deeds. That's code word for give a lot. Generous. Willing to share. So like if you get to the end of your year and you have given away 2% of your income... There ain't no way you should be able to think of yourself as generous. If you spent more going out to eat than you spent giving, or more on shoes than you spent giving, you probably shouldn't think that you're fulfilling your calling. Okay, I'm stepping on toes. That makes me nervous. But it's interesting to think, what if God actually knows how to give you life that's really life. And part of it is entering into this calling that he has for you. This calling to give, to expect from him. Money is a servant. That's what the Bible says. For bringing about God's provision for others and for ourselves. But it's a really bad master. And the constant competition of your and my life is going to be thinking that this money is what we've got to have. That is our life. And God dares us by saying, don't put your hope in this wealth, which is so uncertain. And it really is. Any of you have lost a lot of value in the stock market recently? You know, it comes and goes. It can come pretty fast and go pretty fast. 
But see, God says, I don't come and go fast. Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have for, and this is the antidote, the Lord has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. So when God says, you want to fight materialism, you want to fight greed, get close to God, who's promised not to withhold anything from you that you need, who even in the worst situations you find yourself in is able to convert them into good. As a steward, you can realize even in the worst suffering, your master has placed you there and has promised to work everything for your good. I guarantee you if there was a group of people If we grew in this, if the church of Jesus throughout this country, if business owners and CEOs considered their calling, not to be consumers but stewards, who considered their calling to imagine the best ways to cause flourishing all around them with the money that's been entrusted to them, I don't think there'd be an Occupy Wall Street movement. There might be. But the scriptures say when the righteous flourish... The city rejoices. But see, in our country, when the, right, the righteous, when they flourish, we, we don't, nobody knows. When you meet a truly generous person who thinks about giving their stuff away, who thinks about how to use their stuff for the benefit of others, to the advantage of others, even to the point of disadvantaging themselves, it's so refreshing you don't feel envious of them. You don't have the scorn and contempt that all those occupiers of Wall Street have for the rich. Their message gets lost a little bit because it seems so envious when they're crying out injustice. But what if everybody in a position who had choices, therefore rich, thought, I've been given these choices, so I might give. What a privilege. And see, when you manage your goods, let me say this. A lot of you think, That part of what God wants with your goods is that you would feel really guilty while you use them. Some of you have choices and you are torn. You use them a lot for yourself and you give away some, but you also just feel really guilty for what you have. And see, that's the other part where this steward idea sets you free. Because Paul is pretty emphatic that God invented enjoyment and that he says, God richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. And so not only does he want you to be a steward that gives stuff away, but he wants you to be someone who enjoys what he's given you. He doesn't want you to be driving down the road in the car that you have and as you take any pleasure in it, Think he's about to whack you with a billy stick? How dare you smile on that car, boy? If you start to recognize as a steward, God has entrusted things to us that we can enjoy. We get to enjoy rest sometimes. We get to enjoy a vacation sometimes. We get to enjoy a car maybe that doesn't break down. We get to enjoy a house where when it rains, we don't get wet. And it's actually quite temperate, depending, regardless of what the temperature is outside. If you realize you're a steward, God's handed these things over to you. And all your enjoyments can become an avenue for your adoration of God. Thank you, God, for these pleasures that we have. For these meals, for these relationships, for this yard, for this house, for these cars, for this education, for this job, 
Don't feel guilty. Praise Him who has richly provided you with everything for your enjoyment. And then be generous and rich in good deeds. I've closing with this, my hero in the faith, one of them, C.S. Lewis, I've told you this before, but it's worth repeating, said this. And it's really good because most of us, as I said before, are not failing to give because we're stingy. Most of us are failing to give because we're scared. We're afraid. We watch the news. We're aware of the coming apocalypse, financially speaking. We're afraid of not having enough. We're afraid of going down, of losing what we've got. The more you've got, the more afraid you are, probably. Because you've got more to lose. C.S. Lewis once said to a widow lady in a letter, I am a panicky person about money. Probably the only thing I fear more than poverty is tall cliffs and spiders. But you know what? C.S. Lewis had these fears, and you might have them too. Jesus is opposed to fear. But because he knew he was a steward, because the spirit of the living God lived in him, he managed his desires and he managed his goods, reckoning that his fear wasn't the last word and didn't need to be obeyed. And so at the end of this life, this person who was a panicky person about money, it was determined had been giving away two-thirds of his income. That is 66.67% of his income. That's more than 2%, or whatever the national average is. A panicky person about money could give away two-thirds of his money because he thought he was a steward. A person who enjoyed God, he's the one who told me, I turn all my delights into a channel of adoration of God. And a person who was able to give away that much because he knew he was a steward. Stewards manage things. They manage their desires. They struggle not to get ahead, but they struggle for contentment. And they struggle, I mean, they manage the goods that God's entrusted them for the good of the world. I hope that we'll be a community that keeps growing so that this community all around Lookout Mountain and all over Chattanooga, wherever we work and play, And wherever we do ministry, we'll say, I am so glad that God has prospered those people because their prospering means the prospering of everybody else. Amen.